Hi, hello, bonjour. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I am your host, Anne Mulatala. Today, I am joined by Dapper Lou, or Luger Delcy, a wonderful photographer, visual artist, videographer, an entrepreneur that I was lucky to meet a few years ago as I was working on a, on a special project around menswear in Italy. Since we met, Lou has made some pretty amazing strides in the world, particularly as an artist. And we kept in touch. Thank God for Instagram, right? It just felt like I really needed to catch up with him on this podcast for all of you to discover his art and the beauty that he puts into the world. We cover a lot of things, in particular his beginnings in the world of blogging. You'll be pleased to know that him and I have got one very good thing in common. We both sold shoes for a while. <laughs> I am particularly touched by the way he talks about his family and his closeness with his father. I am really looking forward to you listening to my conversation with Dapper Lou. Enjoy. So I started recording because I'm always scared that I'm not going to press record because I hear this happens a lot <laughs> to people, <Okay. laughs> which makes sense. Which beach are you on? Um, I'm at Reef Beach. It's basically like Queens. You heard of Far Walkway, right? Yeah, that's what I know. It's not far from there. It's on the same like coastline. That sounds nice. But thank you so much for making the time, you know, gracing my podcast. So would you maybe first introduce yourself for our listeners in, in your own words? Okay. So my name is Luigi Delcy, also known as Dapper Lou. I guess you can say I'm an artist. Um, I do many different things. Um, photography, you know, it's my main medium. <laughs> and I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, I did that thing. But I would say you're probably also an entrepreneur because you've got your own studio collective. That's true. Yeah. I think I it's kind of a hard question for me because that's like I do so many different types of things. I would just narrow it down to one or two. But yes, I, I'm also an entrepreneur as well. <laughs> I wanted to obviously ask you first and foremost, um, how are you doing? Because you're in the you're in New York and things have been pretty hardcore in your area lately. I mean, how have you gone through both COVID nineteen? I mean, still going through COVID nineteen, and also obviously the Black Lives Matter. Yeah, so I think with COVID, um, I mean, that was just a bit interesting because when it started, I was in Africa at the beginning of the year, January, and I guess there were talks about it, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't really following it too much. But I went to the British Virgin Islands in about end of February, and that's when I started seeing people wearing like masks on the planes, and I was like, okay, I'm guessing this is more serious. But then like full-blown March, it was just like, okay, like this is what it is. You know, this is happening. Um, I think especially when Italy got hit, I think that's when it became like a huge scare. But I think for me, I've adjusted to the new normal. Um, a lot of the projects that I was supposed to be working on all kind of like got canceled. But yeah, but I've been, you know, on my health and wellness tip. <laughs> so that's where I am with COVID. That sounds pretty good. Has anything specifically helped you in the last few months? Uh, around the sports or the mindfulness? What has been helping me is just kind of getting into a routine. Um, I can't lie. I had my binge watching <laughs> nonstop watching the whole Netflix. You know, I had those moments as well. But then I also was just like, okay, like the moment it happened, 
I'm going to do a goal. So I actually started like running and I actually lost like 15 pounds since the pandemic started. What? Yeah, I know. It can't even like, yeah. Good for it's, you. <laughs> it's insane. No, thanks. You know, it gave me something. If anything were to happen, at least I could make sure that my immune system, I started eating really clean these months. So I've been like really taking that serious and I'm, I'm really enjoying that aspect. <laughs> and how's New York been and Brooklyn been over the last few weeks? Well, I think since the start of the protest, well, it kind of, it calmed down. It's, it's a bit calmed down. But mm. I think in the beginning of it, it was just like helicopters, like nonstop. I'm like, am I in like a war movie? Um, obviously, like, you know, a lot of people were protesting. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy how this is happening, you know, during the pandemic. I think the vibe is definitely has changed like during that moment. So, it was like very aggressive. It was, I felt like there was so much aggression going on. But it's very calm now. I think that um, things have slowly going back to normal. And I think that people yeah. really do want to see some normal life. Obviously still being super mindful and wearing masks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it must be good to actually see some regular things happening. Yeah, yeah. Like things are opening up. The mask was still on. But I actually went to a block party the other day where we were all fully in masks. But I mean, you know, and distancing, but cool. It was so, 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 so cool. But yeah. So I thought that maybe we could get started on this interview with asking you a little about your background and for you to tell me a bit about your family growing up. Did you always have a sense that you would work in fashion or visual arts like photography? So not at all. Um, short answer. Um, <laughs> not, <laughs> not at all. Like I think in my, my parents were very, you know, my parents are like Haitian immigrants. You know, they basically came here for kind of like a better life. And I mean, I vividly remember one of my teachers, like first grade, was like, you know, you should get into the RT, you know, kind of draw and things like that. But, you know, my parents, they kind of like, they didn't know what to do with that. They kind of <laughs> brushed that off. So I think that for me, like I've always kind of had this sense of independence because, you know, my parents, they weren't like my go-to for like even studying in school, like a tool, you know, like they weren't going to be like, oh, no, this is how you do fractions or this is how you do, you know, they, they, it just, it just, it just wasn't a conversation. I always had to either figure it out or rely on school or friends or whatever. So I think from an early age on, I kind of learned how to figure things out, you know, and they were very, you know, poor background. So even when it came to like my adolescence, um, I always knew that if I wanted to like buy whatever, it was because of my parents. I was either going to have to work for it. That's kind of, I think, where I developed my work ethic. And then, yeah, when it came to like fashion and things like that, I was actually like terrified of telling my parents that because like, how do you even formulate that? Not having that confidence of even knowing. Sure. But I think them not giving me that kind of guidance or that structure, it kind of left it almost like an open canvas, like a blank canvas for me to just explore and to me to just kind of do what I want in that sense. Sure. So that, I guess in a sense that helps, because I know a lot of friends that I have say that their parents are like, no, you can't do art, you can't do this. And they kind of, you know, blocked it. Whereas my parents, you know, they were just kind of like, they were very easy going with it because they didn't know what to tell me anyway. Yeah. I have to tell you, there's so many people I know whose parents did the blocking exactly like you're describing. 
So the opposite of your parents, basically, because they <laughs> let you. They didn't tell you, no, you can't. They, they just had to let me. And they always call me the, the American child because they, because I've always had this like feisty and like determination about me that they were just kind of like, yeah, he's going to figure it out. You know, my father always told me that I turned 18 at like 10. He's always said that I was always a little adult, but yeah. Do you have a close relationship with him? Oh, super close. I mean, I'll probably tell you later on, but he's literally like my delivery service. Like, Prince, he's literally like my go-to. That's my homie. Oh, that's amazing. Um, And so how old were you when you got a sense that you wanted to work in fashion? I mean, how did you even discover that world? Well, I think, you know, for me, it was through like television because I think, you know, my parents, they would watch, I mean, you know, my dad would just watch sports nonstop. But for me... There was this series, um, I don't know much, I don't remember my channel it was on, but it was called um, Full Frontal Fashion. And it was basically just kind of like this reporter, and she was just talking about all these fashion shows. She was talking like Marnie and Burberry, and it was literally just the runway shows. And it was so crazy because I guess she, would, she was reviewing the shows. I literally would sit in front of the television just glued to that. Oh, cool. Just glued, and it was just it was just the shows over and over and over, and it was so crazy because it was just that's literally all I watched. It was either that, you know, the VMAs or like the MTVs or you know music videos. So I think from a young age, I was just constantly in just into like entertainment, you know. Mm. But that's my that's my one on one. How old were you when you were watching? Um, I was really young. I want to say like <laughs> a child, like so. I can't remember what you said and suddenly that brought me back and I had forgotten that we we traveled to Italy twice together um, because I forgot about the first time that you were in Naples when we did the photo shoot in that beautiful yeah. island yeah. of Crocida with Bobby. That was an amazing experience. So I actually took some pictures of you taking pictures of Bobby, our friend <laughs> Robert Konjic, the model. And uh, so you look good. I mean, I, I've got you mainly from the back and... Looking back at those pictures of you shooting him, you just looked so dapper and chic in the very hot <laughs> June. So style to me, when I look at you, it seems very effortless. Can you tell me a little bit more about where you feel your style came from or where it does come from? Is it probably evolving? Do you feel? Is it fluid? And what your influences are? In terms of my style, I think when I was young, I was, way, I was just very excited experimentative. I would just try different colors and patterns and this, that, and third. Lately, my style is a bit more like, I still play around. Like, I love patterns and prints, especially when I'm traveling. I love trying to do the most when I'm traveling. But generally in New York, like, my style is very much like either white or black. Like, I love my fedora hat. Like, I love that. That's like my signature thing. And I don't even know why or where I started wearing hats, but it was just something about it. I just felt that just elevated. Like, I could literally be wearing, you know, the cheapest outfit, but that hat would just, I always made sure that if there's one thing that was going to be amazing, it was going to be the hat. Because everything else, you could wear the, the worst outfit. It would just be that hat would just stand out. And I think over the years, my hat has progressively gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't know why. But the hat that I'm wearing like at the moment is probably the biggest hat that I've ever worn. I actually need a summer version of this hat. I need like a nice fedora version of it. But yeah, I think my style, I just try to keep it simple. I don't try to do too much. Yeah, I always know like, okay, when to stop. But every so often when I'm feeling myself, then I go above. But I try to keep it simple as possible. Who do you admire? Is there any anybody whose style you really look up to? Mm, trying to think. 
So, okay, so in high school, I, I wouldn't say I looked up to him, but I will say that, funny enough, Kanye, because at the time when, you know, I was in high school, Kanye was just coming out. I remember there was a phase where he kind of inspired me to be able to like wear blazers and stuff in school. Yeah. Um, I do remember that. I do remember that, you know, because I mean, my high school was like, you know, it was like nothing fancy but my high school. But I remember him making it acceptable for kids to like wear blazers stuff to school. I think that's when I kind of started dressing up to school. And no one said anything because it was like, oh, he's rocking that like that kind of look or whatever. Just that whole preppy style. It wasn't a thing like in my school because everyone kind of just wore Jordans. Like that was like the thing. I guess he was a star icon in that sense. Yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about Kanye in general. But I do remember how much I loved him when he first came on the scene and how much I loved his yeah. music then. And so I've known you and I've known your work for a few years. And, and so can you tell me a bit about how you relate contrast, texture and color as a photographer? How has that sort of been informed by influences around you? Um, I think when I got into photography initially, I was just kind of doing what I thought I should be doing. But I think once I developed, you know, I, I realized that the medium is really just the ex extension of your personality. So I think once I understood and I was able to understand who I am as a person, I think that a lot of those things just kind of played out. You know, I'm a vibrant, colorful kind of person in general. So I think that having that in my work is, is, is natural because that's just the way I view the world. I'm, I'm attracted to textures. I'm attracted to color. Like if I'm driving down a, a block in Brooklyn, whatever, I'm, instantaneously gravitated to the colorful walls. And I remember just recently, someone was like, what are you taking a picture of? Like, just a random stranger. And I was just like, oh, I just, the, the, the you know, the shadow and the color of the wall. But it was literally just a red wall, you know? Like, so I'm like, oh, I guess, I'm like, I guess if someone's like observing me, it's just like random. And also it plays too in my heritage. You know, you know, the islands are very like, colorful places, it's kind of the DNA to just revert to those to those color choices. I think it's just like in me, I guess, in a sense. I saw this beautiful shoot that you did. I think it was for a watch for a hype beast. Yes. You were running red paint down this beautiful woman's face. That was really fun. So clearly you're not scared of, of being bold, right? No, exactly. <laughs> the bolder the better. I love that. How do you choose and approach your subjects? Because you actually you started photography and it was at the beginning mainly street style. And from what I've heard, you really did photograph as many people as you could, as often mm -hmm. as you could. So how did you approach and choose your subjects? So for street style, I kind of just, I just walked up to them. And, and, and around that time I was doing it in Soho. Because I worked at this shoe store um, and then on my lunch break, I would literally just go out and photograph people on my break. So um, I would just ask them, I'd say, hey, do you mind if I I'll take a portrait of you? And many people would say yes, many would say no. And after a while, you start knowing the yes people and the no people. <laughs> like, it's like the more stylish they were, like, when they knew they were really, really cool, generally it's like they would say no so after a while you start to notice people's habits and behaviors after a while you just have to be persistent like I was very excited you know to ask <laughs> them so I think they kind of vibed off of that excitement and then yeah and then it just so happened that a lot of them worked at fashion companies or different being in Soho so it, it turned into like a form of networking but that's really how I met people it was just kind of just saying hey <laughs> I was just like, two seconds. I almost made it in a sense where it's like, you can't say no, you know? Um, and generally, you know, for the most part, it would work. I mean, why would yeah. anyone say no to you? I don't know. 
<laughs> um, do, do you know what you just reminded me that our careers have something in common? Really? What is it? We both worked in shoe stores because I worked hey. in a shoe store for a while. Oh, yes. Tell me about retail. What was the shoe store? What kind of shoes were you selling? So it was a store called Glory Chen. And it was like my last retail job. It was an interesting company. <laughs> the store is not around anymore. Nonetheless, yeah, I worked there. And um, it was a very easy job because I mean, we didn't have to do much. And it was like very low traffic. It was very boutique style. So, yeah. So it, before the, the job, I would literally be doing photography stuff, my lunch break, and then afterwards, I would go to an event. So I kind of called it my unofficial sponsor, <laughs> just because <laughs> literally she kind of helped me. And I only worked like four days a week. So for the rest of the days, I was really just free to kind of do my work. So yeah, it, it, was, it was a nice place to kind of help me transition into like full-time work as, a, as an artist. That's amazing. So... When you started with photography, how did you transition? I assume doing street style at the beginning. So I think at, so basically at that time, like it was all about blogs. At that time, I had like a menswear blog. So the street style was kind of just like one series within the blog, Dapper Lou. <laughs> and I would kind of photograph my outfit. So that was like a series. And then another series was the street style, which I called Street Gen. But it was basically a photography blog, just showing either... Guy style, my style was a mixture of different things and, and product that I liked as well. So I was like heavy blogger at the time. Do you know what? I feel like it's so long ago. It's almost like I forgot blogging existed. I know. Blogging was taken over for me. It was already completely migrating into to Instagram, right? By 2014. Yeah. So it feels like ages ago. It feels like it, it does. It feels like... And I remember it was like a thing, like the magazines would do, you know, these are the top blogs to follow. It was literally a thing. Yeah, I was never a blog follower personally. That was not my thing. Mm. I appreciated the style and the photography of several ones and yours as well. For me, it was fun at that moment because it was kind of like, it was just kind of my introduction to working with brands as well. Because after a while, you know, brands was like, oh, how do we, you know, they wanted to get featured <laughs> on your blog and things. So it was like, even for me, it feels like ages ago, but it was like a whole different way of working, even though the principles still translate today. But yeah, it was like a whole different thing. But it was cool for the time. Yeah, for the time. The reason I was thinking about asking you that is I, I heard you interviewed on the Hype Beast radio podcast, which I really enjoyed, by the way. And oh, cool. the, the interviewer asked you a really interesting question about your relationship with social media and fashion. And of course, for a while, you were the subject of a lot of photography. And that was one of the ways to promote yourself. And since then, I heard you talking about how you transitioned to your photography being its own you know, value as a subject. And so I wanted you to expand on that a little bit. How do you feel about social media today? And how does it support you or hinder you, let's say, as an artist? You know, I, I literally built my whole career and everything off of social media. So um, I think it's, a, it's an amazing tool that I use to my benefit because, you know, it's like the reach it gives you, you know, and, and, the, and the, also the, you know, there's power behind social media and there's power behind just being as specific as I am on social media. And I think if used the right way, it can be, you know, an amazing tool. Obviously, with the pluses, it has its drawbacks. Like, as an artist, sometimes you may feel like constantly this pressure to produce or this constant pressure to kind of like be working on something, which is not how I work. Like, now, but I think that I'm at a place with social media that I understand that, yeah, I don't have to post every single day, 
when I post, I post. <laughs> you know, I kind of don't let it control me. I, I'm more in control of the medium. And I learned that from the way artists post. Because I, I will see someone like Solange or like Frank Ocean, they post once, whenever they, you know, like, obviously their influence is way greater. People will wait. And then I, I just kind of adopted that same mentality. You know, when I go on a trip, I don't have to literally Instagram every single moment. I can wait to the end of the trip and make a beautiful story. And to me, it works better that way because there's not just constant pressure. You know, so that's one aspect. But I, I do like, you know, I do love social media. Obviously, you know, I built the brand off of it. So, I mean, I love the aspect of the reach you're able to find. Like just recently, some people bought images from me only in like Belgium, you know, and it's like, where would they have found me otherwise, you know? Mm. So I think that aspect is really beautiful. And even like traveling wise, like I'll go to some places and then I literally would have a whole network of people that have been following my work. So like, like, like when I went to Kenya, people are literally like, oh, Lou, let's meet up, let's link up. But I'm like, it's crazy. I'm literally like in this foreign land, you know, for me. And I can literally just meet a creative community just by saying, hey, just by them looking at my geotag, like, hey, are you in Kenya right now? So I think that aspect of it is really amazing. So, you know, with everything, it has its plus and minuses. Sure. And how do you feel about being in front of the camera nowadays? Um, so, okay. So now I think I'm okay with it. I think at that time, I was only known for being in front. You know, I think there was just kind of like this self-fulfillment like, that I needed to know that I needed my work also to kind of be at the forefront. You know, whereas if you're in front of the camera, for the most part, you'll probably get more engagement, more likes so people just like seeing, you know, familiar faces or people that they know. But I wanted that same effect for my work alone. I, and I was thinking in terms of longevity, like when I'm 50, 60, 70, I don't know, however old, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, I want my work to be at the forefront, not my physical appearance. Because obviously my look is going to change. So I don't want to be judged just primarily on how I look. I want to be known for my work and I want my work to outgrow the individual in a sense, yeah. Mm. And it's true that Ideally, you want the work to speak. I, I really fully yeah. understand. But it's a fine balance because I feel like your, your fans and followers also, because they like your work, they want to connect with you, I guess, as well. Yeah. No, like absolutely. Like, like now I don't have an issue with it because I've come to a place where I've been able to build my work to a place where I can, now I can do both. And I think because I kind of grew up, I was like fairly young when I started photography in my early 20s, just going through these transition and changes, I sat and I reflected like, you know, what really do I want to be, you know, either remembered for or whatever. I think I just had to grow as a creative and as an artist. And I think I had to understand both. Like now if someone asked me to be in a campaign, I had no issues with it because my work by itself still stands. Like I've actually built something that I'm proud of. So yeah, I'm totally in a better place in terms of that, yeah. That's lovely. So I've seen some of the amazing things you've done recently, not just for Louboutin, but your sort of your body of work, because obviously we've stayed in touch and I've, I've been following you. And the other day you, you explained to me how you were curating Instagram as if it was an exhibition or your portfolio and working around color as if it were an exhibition somehow. So I love your approach. How do you feel right now, personally, on commercial versus artistic. What's that journey been like for you in, in the last couple of years? Oh, that is like a journey in itself. Um, that journey was very, very difficult for me because like I think coming from this 
commercial aspect where I guess, you know, brands would use me as the person to advertise their products. That's always kind of like been at top of mind for me. And I've also, that's how I know how to make money is through that commercial aspect. But I think transitioning into like art space, I didn't necessarily know how to like, I mean, obviously, yes, it's like you just sell your own work, but, you know, but I think at that time, like just understanding, because, you know, for a long time, people weren't even requesting prints. My content was totally different. So I think that when I started changing the way I shoot, then it became something that someone would want, they would actually want in their home. I just really had to like sit back and just process of commercial loo, art loo. And what I did was I just made an agency, um, Dapper Studios, in which where I was able to still work on commercial and branding projects for clients while also separating my photography. So my photography, you know, my website now is just purely the work, the photography. And if you want to see the commercial stuff, there's a whole other website for that. I just needed to like mentally like separate the two and I just made that into an agency. Um, now that I'm selling my work, it's like the commercialism is like right back into it. So yeah, <laughs> sure. but I think that as a photographer, it helped me like understand the type of visuals I was creating mm. because the visuals I would create for a brand would be a totally different visual that I would just create for myself. Sure. Um, and I do know that obviously there's photographers that marry the two worlds. Um, and, and essentially I do, and, and even with the, the studio, it still has like a very artistic point of view. So in a sense, they, they still marry, even though they're a bit separate. Yeah. Sure. And you have a really good crew because I remember hanging out with them. Um, hey. especially <laughs> they're awesome. They're awesome. Gosh, it was such a good trip. It really was. I hope we can do so, something else like that again. So just to like really uh, elaborate on that. Mm. So look, in a sense, you actually, you, you, you in that Lubitsyn project actually was kind of a part of the forming of the studio, honestly, really? because no, legitimately, because that was one of the first trips or first or second trips in which we were kind of like traveling like that. And I think Louboutin was the first brand in which we were all kind of like featured, you know? So that trip subconsciously is what really started the studio, to be honest. Like, That's amazing. Honesty. Oh my God. <laughs> no, pure, 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 pure honesty. And it's funny because I, I referenced that so much and I'm speaking to other clients. I'm like, oh yeah, this was probably one of the first projects that we came together as a collective. But I guess I, I don't know if I ever mentioned that to you, but literally no. like that. I know. I'm, yeah, it's it's a good place to be mentioning it. But yeah, literally, that was kind of the project that set the stage for the studio. Mm, that's yeah. that's so awesome. And I felt, you know, I remember when it all got together. It was kind of with a small budget, but sort of really big, bold ideas. I really loved having all of you guys as we were, um, we reminisced already the other day, but God, that first night with the old Italian dudes singing New York, New York with all of you on the waterfront that night was so much fun. That that trip alone was just like, I mean, both of the experiences was just so amazing. I mean, we absolutely loved it. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Oh, well. And, and your lovely singing. <laughs> oh, yes, that's true. You remember that bit. Yes, Actually, yes. I'm really happy to be a podcaster because that just gave me the excuse to build myself a mini <laughs> home studio and to buy a really sick mic because, you know, why oh, you not? Why not? Um, I mean, yeah. why not? 
Um, so I want to switch gears because we've never talked about this, but it's very important. Let's talk about Lauren Hill. Okay. I mean, you just mentioned my singing. So you watched Full Frontal TV when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. I watched Lauren Hill in Sister Act 2 and, wow. and watched it on repeat again and again and again and again. <laughs> so tell me about that shoot. How did that happen? How, how was it? And how was it for you? Okay, so basically I was shooting, and it was so random. I was just working with this model. I'm a good friend of mine, I'm Nara. And out of nowhere, so he has, he has an agent at IMG. So out of nowhere, um, his agent was just like, oh yeah, like Lauren loves your work and she's working on a project. Um, you know, a little bit of detail. You know, they didn't have too much details at the time and they were like, she really wants to work with you on this project. And in my head, I was kind of like, okay, this is like, <laughs> first of all, and I, I remember, I vividly remember being at the studio like, okay, I didn't even get excited because I was like, I'm not getting excited until she's like in this space. So I didn't get excited. I was like, okay, this sounds really cool. Let me know how everything works out, whatever. So she was working with this designer named uh, Melody and, and they were doing like, kind of like a capsule collection for her 20 year anniversary of Miss Education in the Lauren Hill. So, oh. and she's like, this is a big deal. You know, Lauren Hill doesn't really get shot by, you know, she hasn't been shot an X amount of time. And they gave, you know, I was like, oh my gosh. So the morning of the shoot, I'm, I couldn't, basically I couldn't sleep. I did not sleep literally for like 24 hours. Because it was just like, how do you, first of all, how do you prepare? How do you like, you know, like my only request that I shoot, it was, it was like, I was like, I have to shoot Lauren Hill in my studio. Because they wanted me to go out to New Jersey for it. And I was oh, right. like, nope. I was like, my one request is, to shoot him in my studio. So the call time was like 10 a.m. And as you know, (laughs) Lauren Hill was gracefully, fashionably late. So she didn't arrive until about like 2 p.m. And then hair and makeup took another like four hours. So it was very insane because we're like, and I arrived on set like at 7 a.m. So I literally had basically, (laughs) I know. So I basically worked a full like work day before we actually started shooting. But when we started shooting, her vibe, her everything about, like, just everything about her was just electric. It was just insane. Just hear, first of all, hear her speak in person was mm-hmm. just like, it was like, I, I can't even describe to you because it was almost, it's like this recognizable sound that you hear all the time. Mm-hmm. But now hearing it in front of you was just like insane. I literally could have recorded the whole shoot. Oh, and wow. it would have been like an album. It would have been like an album because every the way she speaks, it just sounds like she's rapping. It was insane. It was mm-hmm. absolutely insane. We flowed so well. I was I was really honored because like she really let me do my thing. She really respected the craft, and I was so like thankful for that. You know, even from the throne chair we used, we rented it for a day, and the guy doesn't even rent. He was like so confused when we, when we were like, we don't want to buy it. We just want it for like a day. He was like. Uh, sure. I mean, yeah, that whole day was just, it was just so magical. Like, and she got so comfortable with me to the point she was like, she was like leaning on my shoulder. I was just like, oh my gosh. And it's so funny because I was like, you know, when I'm directing, I'm like, you need to do this. You need to do this. So I was basically like, Lauren, I was like, Lauren, I was doing this, this hand movement. Like you need to bring it, you need to focus on me. I focus, you know, focus. I was literally telling her to focus. But yeah, it, it was an amazing shoot. That's phenomenal. I mean, I'm looking at one of the pictures right now on my screen. The one in the, the red ruffly yes, dress. Yes, wow. There's something yeah, that was- so <laughs> piercing about her look. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, really, it's really special. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I found out that you've worked with a, a really beautiful charity called Giants of Africa. 
And they're doing this beautiful thing, which is to build basketball courts throughout the continent. Am I correct? Yeah. And so would you tell me, how did you find them? And, uh, or did they find you? And I mean, we've just talked about Lauren Hill, so go <laughs> onwards and upwards. Did you photograph Barack Obama? Did I read that right in Kenya? Yes. Okay. So that shoot came about, there was this woman named Vivian. She was following me on Instagram and I guess she's a consultant for the brand. She reached out to me and she was like, they're working on this project in Kenya and they potentially would want to like, you know, use me. But she says that Masai, the owner, he's also the owner of the Toronto Raptors. Uh. So I meet him at this um, event called Women in Sports. And it's just like this gala event. So I meet him. And it's crazy because I'm just, I'm like, how did I end up here? I, like, sometimes things happen and I'm just like, you know. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm at this gala and I'm like at the table of the Toronto Raptors. I'm like, I'm going to shoot basketball, you know? So and then I meet Masai. So right after that meeting, she comes up to me and she goes, yeah, Masai likes you. So we're, basically we can move forward. And I think he just really wanted to see my vibe or whatever, you know? Like, so we ended up, they gave me details about the project that you literally were going to be shooting him and Barack Obama in Kenya. So Barack Obama's sister has this like facility in Kenya, which it's like an art school. It's like all these opportunities for kids that live in this very, very remote town outside of Kisumu. Like, I mean, when we worked on our project, that's when they were actually installing like Wi-Fi. So you could just imagine it was very, very remote. But anyway, his sister was doing this huge event and Masai was actually building the basketball court at a part of the, you know, a part of the project. So Barack was actually going just to kind of give a speech. And they said that this was his first time returning to Kenya since his presidency. So, yeah, and it was it was so crazy because like it was like CIA agents. It was literally insane. (laughs) And he. He showed up in pure style. Your man showed up in a full-on helicopter, first of all. I don't even know when he arrived. That's the thing. You just started seeing him walking around. I'm like, oh my gosh. So then there was like a kind of like a tournament for the kids. And when the tournament happened, um, you know, Barack was like playing with the kids because Masai has this basketball camp and the whole camp is about empowering the youth. So Barack is on the court playing with the kids. So amazing. And he only made, he only makes one shot. Only one shot and he makes it. And it was amazing. Aww. It was the most amazing. It was like, it was like mic drop. And I was just like, how could this man be so perfect? It was like literally like <laughs> insane. But yeah, so that was, that was that opportunity. And basically I was just, they hired me to document the culture surrounding, surrounding the, the festivities. And then I also took an image, yes, of Barack and Masai. So, I would love yeah. for you to share the link so I can put it in the show notes so people can go and have a look at it. Sure, definitely. Because it sounds okay. super, super amazing. So you've traveled quite a bit throughout Africa, am I correct? Yes. Because I, I read somewhere that someone called you a visual documentarian. I think it was Hype Beast again. And then I can quote you because there was a really beautiful um, sentence. You said, beautiful people can be found in every culture. So I try to dignify them with the portraiture I take. My mission is to highlight the stories of people by putting them in the most positive light. I thought that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Tell us a little bit more about it. What has been like to, you know, this is a very different type of journey to what you've done before. So that trip to Kenya really changed my perspective because I think I, I started seeing people just like in a very different light. I think traveling really 
helped me to, I think that trip a lot, and mind you, that trip was only two years ago, funny mm-hmm. enough. But that trip just kind of like opened my eyes to the beauty in the world because, you know, we, we see the narrative of, of Africa. We've seen so many narratives of it. And for a time, the narrative wasn't that great. But what I love about travel and just documenting my own experience is I'm able to change or create a different narrative. You know, yes, are there people starving around the world? Yeah, great. Yeah, that, that is true. But there's also, you know, like that trip specifically showed me that, that a lot of people, people were so content with just like what they have. Like I really just learned like so many spiritual values, like contentment and just, just this whole aspect of it. And I was like, that's really what I want to highlight in my work. I really want to show, you know, yes, we can talk about the poverty, but within that, there's so much beauty. There's just, you know, and that's what I want to focus on. Like, so I shoot a lot of people, whether it's on the beach or whether I try to shoot people in a place where they're just having fun, you know? So whether it's like mm. kids playing or, you know, whatever it is. And that's really the mission of my work. And, and, and also showing the similarities within different cultures, whether it's Africa, whether it's Brazil, whether it's India, wherever it is in the world, there's just so many things that make us united in a sense. Like anywhere I go in the world, you're going to find those men working on their cars. You're going to find like, you know, the kids playing by the water. You're going to find the women hustling at the marketplace. You know, it may come in different forms and shapes and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's like I feel like that same core value of like the human experience parents is evident anywhere you go. And I think that's just something that I wanted to highlight in my work is that human experience through travel and really focusing on the positive. And through these experiences, is it all beautiful, you know, experiences on cupcakes and stuff? No. Sometimes, like, I gotta, like, hustle or to get that shot or maybe just right after that shot, something crazy happens. But <laughs> just because, just in that instant, just in that moment, you know, I just want to document the beauty of people as much as I possibly can. It sounds absolutely wonderful. And I think you highlighted our common humanity and how you can see it, even if it takes different, slightly different shapes and forms. The other day, we talked about how invested you were in interiors nowadays and how committed you were or how, how strongly you felt about collaborating with the people who were buying your prints, about finding the right space for them. So tell me a little bit, how have you become interested in interiors? And, and also tell me about the exhibitions that are coming up. So for interiors, so funny enough, that's something that I've, I loved since I was a kid. I've always, actually, I almost went to school for interior design. <laughs> but someone actually ended up discouraging me. It was just like, this, it was this architect that I met at the time. And he, he made interior design it sound so like insignificant in relation to architecture. So I was like, man, I, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. You know, it was so funny. But it, nonetheless, I still love <laughs> interiors. So I, I just started working with this furniture store in Brooklyn. And I just kind of, and I'm, I'm just that person. I would just walk up into a place and I walked in. And I'm like, hey, um, do you guys, you know, work with local artists? And she said, I would love to. And then boom, just from that one little thing, like my work is now in her store. We're planning on doing this mural outside of her store of my work. It's like insane. Um, I'm obsessed with like all things interior and aesthetics. And yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> What's just, the like, name of it. that specific store again? It's um, Diaper, D-Y-P-H-O-R, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I need to look it up because I love the picture that you showed me. That's really exciting. And so you told me the other day that you had a couple of um, 
exciting exhibitions coming up. Yeah, so I have this exhibition with the Smithsonian. It's called Men of Change, and it's basically about changing the narrative about Black men in America. And it really focuses on like presidents, musicians, activists, a good array of different um, writers, good array of different talent. And they are using two of my images in the exhibition. And it's funny because the images that they're using for me, the whole, the whole exhibition is basically black and white, but they're actually using one image of mine that is in color so I thought that was really cool because, wow. well, most of the photographs are in black and white, but they're using this one bright, colorful, this yellow one. And then also one of the images that I took in Kenya of these boys in a line waiting online during the Obama project, they're using that image. And it's so funny how it turns full circle because Obama is actually in that exhibition as well. <laughs> like he has a portrait of something in the exhibition. So it's just so funny how that worked out. But that's actually one of my favorite images. So that exhibition is going to... 10 different cities in the U.S. And the whole point of this exhibition is for people that cannot make it to the Smithsonian. So they, they typically would show in different cities. So right now, it's going to be at the California African American Museum in L.A. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be opening soon and it's going to be there for a few months, like about three months or so. Um, and then the other exhibition I have going on is for, I can't pronounce it, but photos, photo what? Photo swipe? Photo Schweiz. Photo Schweiz. Yes. Photo Schweiz. I mean, it's okay yeah. if your German is not fluent. It's fine. It's Photo Switzerland. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'm working with them. They, they're using, we're still undecided on the number of images, but I sent them about 10 images from a Maasai series that I shot in Kenya. And this whole exhibition is cool because you see the images from like a flat leg. So as you're standing, you're kind of looking down at the photos on a cube. And they gave me my own cube, which is nice. That's going to be up for a few months. And they said they want that to travel throughout the world. So I'm still waiting on the development of that. Mm, that's wonderful. And that's going to be in Zurich. And that's going to be in Zurich, yes. That's fantastic. So I'm going to ask you a few quick fire questions and just um, okay. tell me anything that comes up to your mind. When I say, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Oh my gosh. Um, faith? Yeah. There's a bird behind you, by the way. It is? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. (laughs) And uh, what sound or noise do you love? Which sound or noise do I love? I love the sound of the ocean. (laughs) And funny enough, I'm at the beach. But I love the sound of of the ocean. Like, that's like the most humbling, like, relaxing sound to me. I don't know. Mm, That sounds beautiful. What would you say to your younger self if you could send yourself a message? I would tell my younger self to make sure he reads all the contracts. <laughs> find a lawyer. Read, find a lawyer and read the contracts. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. That is great advice. I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> now tell me about one thing you're not very good at. Ooh. One thing I'm not very good at. Uh, I think <laughs> okay, so one thing I'm not very good at is like sometimes when I get very excited, my ideas are like all over the place. So I guess it could be like organization of like ideas when I'm super like excited about something. Sometimes, sometimes and yeah, even like when I'm shooting, like I literally have to, I have to take a moment to become desensitized with the situation, then take a picture because I, sometimes I get so excited that I actually shoot nothing. It's like all trash. But like, <laughs> I have to like take a moment, let all the emotions exit. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to produce. <laughs> yeah, let them go. Let them go, yeah. Who do you admire? 
Um, I admire my dad. I like. I'm obsessed with my father. So I admire my dad. Oh, that's so nice. What's his name? Joseph. Joseph. Hi, Joseph. <laughs> or, or as I would say, as I would say, Jean. I call him Jean. <laughs> oh, actually, can you do me a favor? How do you pronounce your first name? Uh, Luigi. Luigi Delphi. Luigi. Okay. Because when Luigi. I see it, obviously, I want to see it with a French accent. Luigi. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can. You can. You can say Luigi. <laughs> it's a really beautiful name. But that's basically, that's really my name. It's Luigi. I mean, Luigi is more like of a, it's like a nickname my parents gave me, but Luigi is really like my name. Either or. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then the last question I would like to ask you is, what brings you happiness? Mm, I think spirituality brings me happiness, honestly. Tell me more. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm a very like religious, spiritual person. So I think that brings me happiness in a sense where like, I think, you know, it keeps me grounded. It keeps me, you know, focusing on the big picture of life and not just, you know, I think that's kind of one of the things that really keeps me, you know, well, I try to be a humble person, but once you call yourself humble, you're no longer humble. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I try to kind of, you know, be as chill as I can. I think those values come from spirituality. I mean, my background growing up, I have a very like solid, like spiritual foundation. So I think that's kind of what, even helps me, you know, to work the way I'm able to work. And even the things that I do now, like products that I work on are, um, a friend of mine mentioned that even my work is turning into like, it's turning into almost like missionary, like art, you know, because I'm really into just like humanity and like people and, mm. and this side and third. But yeah, I think spirituality is really like huge on the list for me. It keeps me happy and grounded. Mm. I agree with what your friend's saying. It feels like the humanity, um, the beauty of humanity is coming through your pictures. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Hmm. Well, thank you so much, Luger, <laughs> for joining <laughs> me today on the podcast. Do me a favor. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? What's the best way to, to get to your work? So just dap Type that in and it'll bring you to everything else. And obviously, I will put everything in the show notes, including links awesome. to the various projects we've talked about. So thank awesome. you so much. Enjoy the beach. Thanks for having me. I mean, Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm a tiny bit jealous. I kind of wish I was there. This is this is your beach interview. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been it's been real. It's been good. Oh, awesome. Thanks to Dapalu for joining me today. All details of his projects and website and Instagram, everything is in the show notes. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join us again next time. Our theme music is by Connor Heffernan. Artwork by the wonderful Brian Ponto. And special thanks to Joel North for the sound editing, making this fit for your ears. You can soon find all of my episodes and find more about my projects at anvmulatada.com. And if you don't know how to spell that, it's also in the show notes. If you can, rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps other people find it and we appreciate it very much. Until next time, be well, be safe. Um, remember the hand washing, social distancing, all of that good stuff. Thank you. <laughs>